Hi, this is Mrs. McFedries, and um, I'm going to be reading Blood on the River, Jamestown, 1607, by Alyssa Carbone. And um, I really enjoy this book. I hope you do, too. Before we get started, I kind of want to set the stage for you. So, um, you know, there's a lot of history that we can learn way before the 1600s. And things that happened were like, you know, Columbus who came to the Dominican Republic in 1492. Um, he thought he was in the Americas, but he kind of wasn't. He was off the coast a little bit. Um, and then after him, there was settlements by the Spanish that were in Florida and other places. And so at, at, in about 1580, 1585, uh, they decided to send colonists to a place called Roanoke. And when they did, they, it was a group of, of colonists that came to Roanoke and they had women and children and, and others. They left them there and they went to go get supplies. They came back three years later and they had mysteriously disappeared. So there was a lot of um, worry about what happened to them and what um, they looked for them for a while and then they had to go back to England. So it wasn't until the 1600s that right around 1600 that England started thinking to themselves, wait a second, Spain keeps bragging about all this money, all this gold that, that's coming out of them being in, the, in North America. And they wanted that same riches. The king of England wanted that same wealth for himself. And he didn't want Spain to have it all. But he didn't want to go as low as Florida. So he wanted some colonists to go to the Americas, but he wanted it a little bit higher. So what he did is he sent men, and he wanted to send men. Well, he had to have money in order to do that. So he asked gentlemen to give money that, and they would invest into the company, and it was called the Virginia Company. And they decided, the Virginia Company decided that they would have these gentlemen invest in, and give money. And then when they got super rich, then they could pay these men back plus interest or plus some more money. So the Virginia Company, the other thing they were thinking is these gentlemen knew how to maybe do leadership of a colony, a leadership of an, and a government of a colony. So they wanted to send them there first. Now, along with them, they decided, oh, we should probably send somebody that kind of knows what they're doing. So they picked an expatriate, an ex-military like guy, named John Smith. Now, you might have heard of John Smith because you might have seen a movie by Disney called Pocahontas. Well, this book tells more the true story of what that was, because Pocahontas was a really little girl. She really didn't fall in love with John Smith, but you'll see in the book that they do meet each other, and she plays a really important role in that time in establishing what's now known as Jamestown, and, um, and then was known as Jamestown. It was named after King James. So they set out in 1606 
a bunch of men plus John Smith plus some servants plus some workmen, people that they knew that they could build things maybe. And they sent them out to go find a settlement. So these English lords or gentlemen and this group of people, they start going and they get to the border, the river of the James River right on the Chesapeake Bay. And they look around and go, wow, look, tons of water, a river nearby. It's kind of a deep shelf so that our ships could get pretty close to shore. Like This is a good spot. And guess what? There's no Powhatan people here. And those were the native people that lived nearby. Now, we're smart enough to know. I don't know why they wouldn't think of this, but if the Powhatan people weren't inhabiting that area. I don't know, maybe something was wrong with the area, right? <laughs> so it turns out what they didn't know was that there had been a really bad storm and just kind of the ecosystem at that time. In the year 1607, there was way too much salt that ended up in the river and it killed tons of the fish. So there wasn't a lot of good fishing that year. Um, or for a couple of years, probably. Not to mention the fact that the area they picked was kind of marshland. And because they could get their ships so close, that meant that the water came up really high onto the land. And what it did was it put salt in the soil. So you couldn't grow very much either. <laughs> so <clears throat> they didn't know all this, but they decided they were going to do it anyways. So that's kind of where our story starts. And the other thing I'd like for you to know is that, yes, John Smith was a real person. And yes, all the gentlemen mentioned in this novel are real. They were the real people. Um, Alyssa Carbone really did a lot of research to do this book. And, um, but there's a lot of information that we don't have. Like maybe we can dig it up through archaeology and we found a lot of information and we've gathered things. And Chief Powhatan wrote down a lot of things that happened. And so did some of the uh, servants that came and, the soul, and just the people that came. Um, even the gentlemen, they all wrote down kind of little things that happened. Uh, when John Smith came back, he wrote more about what happened. And even Pocahontas later on wrote a little bit. So we do have some evidence of what happened that day. But this book takes that evidence and fills in the blanks and lets it be a story. So some of this didn't, we don't have evidence that this really happened. So this book is, is considered a historical fiction novel. So a lot of what's in here is true and some of what is in here is made up by the author. So what's nice about it in the beginning of every chapter, I mean if you have your book this is a good time to get it out. So if you look at the cover, you know we can guess on the cover what might be inside. Um, I'd love for you to think about first um, what is it that you see on the cover and I love the fact that there's these two uh, native, it looks like gentlemen, that are looking out at the fort, and the fort has smoke coming up, and the cover of this, the book that I have, 
um, I'm sure we could look into the illustrations and really find out, is it accurate? I don't know for sure. We'd have to um, probably find out, uh, you know, the history of the Powhatan people and see if the tattoos on his arms are accurate or are the feathers accurate, the way they cut their hair, is that accurate? So, um, but it does tell me that they're sneaking a peek at these people that live across the river. And... Um, so that's that's kind of gives us our first first uh, little bit. And if you open up the book, it has what's called the first encounter. That page, we read that page again, so we can skip that for now because that's just to get us interested. Like if we were in the bookstore, and we just wanted to read something about um, the book, so if we knew if we wanted to buy it. Then the next page, of course, is your um, title page, Blood on the River, Jamestown, 1607, by Aly Alyssa Carbone, um, published by Puffin Books. Um, then, you know, there's the copyright page, and then there's her dedication page. It says, for those who were there. Um, and then here's the entrance title, right, The Blood on the River. Now, the next page is a map. So let's look at the map for a second. The map shows the Chesapeake Bay, and if you had a bigger map, um, this would be really nice to look at because you could really see where the Chesapeake Bay is and where the James River is. Now, if you can tell, the Powhatan River is what it was really called, but they called it the James River. And if you come up the James River a little bit, there's Jamestown right there. It's kind of marshland. Um, and it's real swampy right there, and uh, they thought that would be easy to defend. That's what the, the English thought that came there. Um, of course, uh, we find out that, you know, there's a reason why the Powhatan people didn't settle right there. So um, we'll figure that out. Now, this next page, on page one, it says one. And what it, this is the beginning of chapter one, and what it starts off with is a prophecy. And the prophecy is given by Chief Powhatan, ruler, I hope I'm saying that right, I apologize if I'm not. Um, Chief Powhatan, ruler of the Powhatan Empire by his trusted priest sometime before the year 1607. So Christian year just means that's the way we do our calendar versus a Chinese calendar or the way the Powhatans kept track of time. Um, so it says, this is a prophecy way before the English come, way before the people, the Jamestown people come. Uh, there's a prophecy given by Chief Powhatan, and it says, in the time of the first planting of corn, there will come a tribe from the Bay of the Chesapeake. This tribe will build their long houses on the land of the Powhatan. They will hunt and fish and plant on the land of the Powhatan. Three times the Powhatan will rise up against this tribe. The first battle will end and the Powhatan will be victorious. But the tribe will grow strong again. The Powhatan will rise up. The second battle I apologize. will end and the Powhatan will be victorious. But the tribe will grow strong once more. The third battle will be long and filled with bloodshed. By the end of this battle, the Powhatan kingdom will be no more. So imagine, um, 
your chief gives you this prophecy, right? And then <laughs> you actually see this uh, ship and this what you think of as a tribe come from the Bay of the Chesapeake. And they start building on this land. Now, the land that they built on in Jamestown was actually part of the hunting grounds of the Powhatan people. They just hadn't, didn't build a village there. Um, so, you know, they were on land that the Powhatans considered theirs, I guess, and um, or at least a, a shared area that they should all be able to hunt on. Now, the people from England that came, they settled there because they figured there wasn't any Powhatan people right there at that moment. And, um, and maybe that was a good place to start. So they, they never checked. <laughs> they never asked. They never, you know, they just moved in. So, <coughs> excuse me, let's backtrack. If you go to the next page, I'm going to start reading on page two. And we're back in England, it says. London, England, in October 1606, which is a year before they settled in Jamestown. And we're going to learn about one of the characters. And I'm just going to start reading now. And um, if you'll follow along, that'd be great. The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to try to read about a chapter at a time. And that way um, you can just listen to the chapters as we go. So this is chapter one. London, England, October 1606. My feet slap, bare and cold on the cobblestones. I'm breathing hard from running. I turn the corner. The street is dark, empty. It's my chance. I find the right door under the sign with three gold balls. I've carried a rock with me. I slam the rock down hard on the padlock, pounding it until it breaks free. Inside the pawn shop, it is quiet and musty. It smells of old wood and candle wax. There is the locket, displayed on a piece of beaver felt. I close my finger around the cool, smooth silver. I haven't touched it since the day she died. Mine. It should have been mine because it was hers. I pull, but it is wired down tightly. I hear footsteps outside. I panic, yank on the wire too hard. The wire slices my hand. I see my blood drip, but the locket is in my grasp. You, boy, a man lumbers into the shop. It's the shopkeeper come from his house across the street. He lunges, grabs me, but I'm too fast. I squirm away and run, escape out into the fog, and I'm lost, disappeared. I walk along the docks, past the dark hulks of ships, bobbing slowly. My heart is still racing. I try to calm myself. I listen to sailors laughing and arguing, their card game stretching into the night. I even venture a whistle. Nothing fancy. Just my own little tune. The shopkeeper will not find me, I promise myself. When he sees me in the daylight, he will not know it was I who wrenched out of his grasp in the dark shop. And he certainly would never guess that I have not stolen anything, only taken back what is mine. It should have been given to me when she died, this locket of my mother's. This will bring a pretty penny, they said at the poorhouse. It will pay for some of the extra food you eat. Can I help it if I'm always hungry? Then they expected me to stay on and keep working in the nailery, keep letting him 
them beat me when they felt like it, as if I wanted to live in the poorhouse, as if Mum and I had wanted to be kicked out of our cottage on our farm, as if the blight was all our fault and we wanted the crops to rot in the fields and had planned all along not to pay the rent to the lord of our cottage. But I chose the streets instead. I'd rather dig in the garbage heaps with rats for meals. Who knows? Maybe my mom would still be alive if she hadn't been a widow and hadn't, and hadn't had to work so hard. First for the greasy, fat gentleman who owned our farm and cottage, and then after we'd been kicked off, making nails for 12 hours a day to pay our way at the poorhouse. Maybe she would still be alive if she, she'd had an easier time of it. Not my father, though. He would have drunk himself to death no matter what. I find my favorite hollow near the London Bridge. Spiked on a pole atop of the bridge is the severed head of a traitor, a man who betrayed the crown of England and paid for it with his life. I turn my face away so I don't have to look at those dull, staring eyes. I curl up to go to sleep. For this one night, the locket is around my neck, hidden under my shirt. One night. A sharp kick to the ribs wakes me up. Wakes me. This looks like the one done it. Scraggly hair and scrawny as a broomstick. I'm on my feet in a split second. Grab him! I tried to twist free, but hands close. On my arms, my neck, it's the shopkeeper and his burly son. I thrash and kick. They tighten their hold until it hurts. The shopkeeper pulls the locket out from under my shirt. Ah, what have we here? He says. A grin sh shows teeth brown as worms. It's mine, I cry, mine. They don't listen. They talk between themselves as they tie my arms behind me with ropes. The magistrate would enjoy the delivery. Another criminal off the streets. The sooner he's hanged, the better. I throw my head back hard. It hits the sun square in the chin. Dow, he cries. He's made me bite my tongue. He returns my blow. One swipe with his hand to the side of my head, just like my father used to do. And just like in the old days, I see black, feel my knees crumble, and I'm out before I hit the ground. So that was a short chapter. But chapter one tells us a lot. Um, I'd love for you to think about what was his father like? It gives us hints. Here in this last paragraph, he says, one swipe with his hand to the side of my head, just like my father used to do. So there's, there's a hint of what his dad was like. And it sounds like to me that his mom has died and that they had to work really, really hard before she did. And it sounds like in, on ch uh, page three, in the about third chapter down, he talks about how they didn't want to live in the poorhouse and how they had to work really hard and they had to make nails all day, 12 hours a day, that maybe she'd still be alive. So it sounds like he got sent after she died to kind of an orphanage, the poorhouse. And they already, well, or they already lived there, it sounds like. And then they, um, they made him stay and work off what she hadn't finished paying. So they must have taken the locket and 
they ponded it sounds like to pay help pay for things so he snuck into the pawn shop and stole it back but of course in the end they caught him and burly he calls them which just means like kind of big hulky guys um the shopkeeper and his burly son on page four so we start the next chapter we'll start on chapter two And it's a longer chapter, and we'll get into it next time. Thanks for listening.